Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to another edition, episode, I don't know what we call it, of Between Two Sundays. It is Wednesday, <laughs> and we are literally pegged between two Sundays, and I'm stuck here in the middle with my friend Mark Beresford and my friend buddy pal. What a good place to be stuck. We're in the middle. Why not? With you. Oh, there's a song in that. <laughs> it's not going Yes, there, there is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so as if you've only just joined us this week, uh, Between Two Sundays is a podcast, vodcast now as well, that looks at the lectionary yeah. readings and we look at it between two Sundays. And for the first half of the episode, we discuss the readings that we've come from last week and we talk about how we're beginning to live them out as we've walked out of Sunday and into the week that we're now in. The second half of the episode we discuss the readings at, that we are heading into in the Sunday that's coming up this week. And this coming Sunday is the first Sunday uh, after Christmas, but um, the uh, last Sunday was <laughs> Advent 4, um, <laughs> which, has, uh, which was last week, literally. Um, and so here we are on the 22nd. We have Christmas coming up in just a couple of days. I know we said Merry Christmas to everyone last week, and then um, it's not Christmas for another, well, it's this Saturday. Um, we got in a bit early there. That's all right. Um, but this, we did get, yeah. obviously, the, we're not doing the readings for Saturday because Christmas Day readings, uh, we're only doing the focuses on Sunday. But interestingly enough, the readings for Sunday are around, obviously, Christmas as we expected anyway. But yeah, last week was Advent 4, the last week of the Advent season. Um, and uh, we had some really cool stuff that we talked about in there about um, the God of the seemingly small things that were the big things and then small women who were doing big things in the likes of Mary. Uh, and there was, um, you know, passages in Hebrews about um, the sacrifice that God wanted and of course, the restoration theme that came through Psalms. How have you stepped out of Sunday and into this week with these clinging on to you, my friend? How do you see them forming and shaping where you have gone over the last few days? Yeah. I, I guess I've sat with the, the Magnificat on, on many occasions, but there's something in me at, at the moment that's asking do I put myself in the place of the, uh, you know, do I read this with myself in the place of the one who is not powerful? Or are there moments where I need to read this reminding myself that I'm maybe in a powerful position mm. or maybe reminding myself that maybe I'm not the one who's behaving humble in this particular situation? Just, uh, just aware of our proneness to read ourselves as the hero in the stories we read. Isn't it? And how it's not always that clear cut. Um, there, there are plenty of times I think I've found myself on the wrong side of this kingdom that is doing things so differently. And there was there's something of a call to humility 
rather than presumption as I step into situations and ministry and working with people and discerning situations. Um, that, that's just been reminded that maybe I'm not always the one on the right side. Um, maybe this story, maybe this celebration of, that Mary has here should remind me um, to look for the humility in others and be attracted to that and, and move towards that yeah. rather than presume that I have it. Well, I think there's I think there's a lot to be wrestled with there actually. And I think it's an eternal wrestle. I don't think it's one where we we kind of arrive. This is this is a wrestle we have over and over again. It's interesting. One of the things that I've really loved in my Benedictine practice of Lectio Divina and in playing around on the fringes with um, the Ignatian uh, imaginative um, prayer and, and contemplation and meditation on scripture is that very thing, you know, placing yourself in different places in the story and realizing that quite often the one that you think you are, you're not, and the one that you don't think you are, you are. So when you have, you know, these yeah. um, people who are wanting to condemn Jesus in contemplating it, you realize, you know, if this happened now, that's probably where I'd be. Uh, or if you think about uh, some yeah. of the other stories that are talking about, you know, the powerful and the oppressed. Well, in society at the moment, um, I'm the powerful. Uh, I'm not a minority. Yeah. I'm yeah. not financially insecure. Um, I'm, you know, I'm middle class, I think, but in terms of the story, I'm not the underdog. I'm not the one who's at the bottom of the pile. Um, you know, in our country yeah. at the moment, you know, at the end of last year or the end of this year, just a couple of weeks ago with the last sitting of parliament, the religious discrimination bill came up again. And one of the conversations a lot of people were having around that was, well, um, are we religiously discriminated against as Christians, at least in Australia? I don't think Christians truly are. I think some of our Muslim brothers and sisters are some of our Jewish brothers and sisters certainly are many of our Hindu and Buddhist brothers and sisters are I don't think Christianity is an oppressed minority in Australia I'm sorry um, and so when yeah. we read these stories where do we see ourselves um, that's a really good question yeah. um, and a powerful one to live out it's kind of where I was too you know I love what you said last week when we started with Micah and you talked about this God who celebrates the small things um, and the God who sees the small things and that got us talking mm. about Mary, who, you know, this yes. teenage unwed woman who's asked to carry this child. Um, and the, the thing that stuck with me was, and I think it was at the end of last week when we, talk, we were talking, we got talking about upside down stories. Uh, I think you brought it up. You know, this whole yeah. story of the gospel yeah. is an upside down story. And mm. I... I remember um, reflecting on that in the lead up to Sunday. And then as I was coming out of the conversation and reflecting on the passages, I kind of started thinking about, well, what does it look like if I live that upside down story every day? And it's kind of like you do your mm -hmm. saying too, you know, um, 
Jesus said, you know, the last will be first and the first will be last. And if you want to be the, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you need to be like the least. And, um, you know, if you want to be inherit the kingdom of heaven and be like these children, um, you know, there's this upside downness all the time when Jesus is trying to show us what it is that this kingdom is like, what, you know, being a follower of God is like, what, what living out this life of faith is supposed to be like. And I think mm. the, the readings from last week really jogged that for me to, to be mindful. And as I go about my day to be looking around and saying, well, if this is meant to be upside down, what is it meant to look like? And how can I play my part mm. in making sure that at the very least I live out of who I am in an upside down way? Uh, and if that means greeting the homeless guy over there as opposed to the dude pulling up in his, or the politician or the famous person over there, then that's what I do. It's the upside downness. Yeah. Um, you know, who am I going to? Yes. You know, and that even goes for myself. Um, you know, am I going to treat myself better than I will the homeless guy? Well, you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, I need to treat the homeless guy really well. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so there's this upside downness that came out of last week's readings that really stuck. And I think that's going to stick with me for a while. Um, and mm -hmm. learning how to see the world. What are, is it like there's certain lens you can get? Um, and you hold it up and you look through it and everything just turns upside down like at the, the optometrist. And they're doing oh, the yes, test. yes. I feel like I need Stand to get up. one of those permanently <laughs> on a pair of glasses yeah. and just flick it around so that the whole world's upside down and I learn how to live in it properly again. And just, yeah. you know, off the top of my head now, I'm thinking, you know, if, I, if that happened, if I put those glasses on and spun it so that everything turned upside down, I literally would have to learn yes. how to live again. And I'm just thinking that's what you just got to do. That's what it is to follow Christ is learning to live again, really, isn't it? You know, I've heard that because you can get those glasses that turn everything upside down. And okay. I've heard that if you, if you actually wear them for long enough, your brain adjusts to it and eventually you see things the right way up. So your oh. brain actually changes uh, you know, learns to look through this this lens, and you can you can live that way. You can live with those glasses on. Isn't that? It, it, I mean, what a parable! You got what a whole bunch of preachers parable. and pastors sitting here going, "Dude, why didn't you tell us this last week before?" So we had a really good sermon <laughs> illustration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's probably right. Uh, that's just uh, if if anyone's going to use that, um, I would encourage them to look it up, um, see if you can find some details on it. I haven't even thought about that for years and years, but I have read that um, that the brain adjusts to it. So, which is, I mean, what a what a perfect parable for the gospel. Yes, yeah. I feel completely disorientated as I read this story, but stick with it. Um, it it will eventually make perfect sense. That's powerful. Wow. Hmm. Well, let's go. let's head towards the first Sunday after Christmas Day, December twenty sixth. Literally the next Sunday after Christmas Day. Yeah. Um, and and let's see where these readings go. Uh, we've got First Samuel chapter two verses eighteen. Oh, sorry, chapter yeah, verses 18 to 20 and verse 26. Yep. 
Psalm 148, Colossians 3, verse 12 to 17, and Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. All of those references will be in the notes for the podcast and the vodcast. They will be on the Wednesday post that I put up at Instagram. And of course, you'll find these referred to in the articles that Mark puts on the barefootfollower.life blog. Beautiful. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> let's, I'm, I had a really good time. I'm, I'm really enjoying our conversations. And I know we said it before, but I don't really care uh, if anybody yeah. else is listening or not. I'm enjoying this. Um, and if all we're doing is saving them for posterity and for someone to dig them up in a hundred years time and laugh at us, well, that's fine. Um, but I'm gaining so much from what we're doing here. Talk me through where the readings took you in your ponderings, my friend. You know, really simply, these readings took me on a path that celebrates growth. So we've got these two statements, um, at one at the end of Luke and one at the end of 1 Samuel, that insist that these two, uh, I mean, Samuel is, you know, he's, a, he's actually a very dominant figure, so dominant that, you know, these two history books that we call 1 and 2 Samuel, um, you know, there are kings that rise and fall in these stories. And it's named after him. Mm. Yet he starts as a kid learning stuff. Um, <laughs> the boy can Samuel continued to grow both in stature and favour with the Lord and with the people. Um, here is, here is a, a pretty ordinary life story so far, really, isn't it? Everyone grows. Everyone has to um, discover things. And everyone has to... Um, has to learn. I mean, these are very, very human things. And in some ways, none of it surprises us in the Samuel story. Well, of course, Samuel's just a kid. And so he's has to learn stuff. I, I don't know how much it surprises us, us when we get to the end of Jesus' story here um, in Luke chapter two. And there's this, there's this sentence that's, it's not the same. It's not even the same language, but gee, uh, the sentiment is completely there to echo what was said of Samuel earlier. Um, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. It's just got so many echoes of that description of Samuel that we've read. Yeah. What, what does it, what does it imply for us to think of, the God of the universe um, incarnating, being enfleshed in such a way that God has to learn and grow. The, the humanness of it is so, so wonderful. Yeah. And I, I've got to admit, I've got to admit, Mark, I, I saw this in the Colossians reading too. Um, not that the same language is there, of course, but this is. Yeah, a complete encouragement, I think, to be people who are growing in God. Um, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. 
Um, forgive as God has forgiven you. Clothe yourselves in love. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. You know, all these things seem to me to be descriptions of the path we are being invited to grow in. What it looks like for us as individuals and as a community to, um, to grow and mature in our following of Jesus. Mm. So I, I saw a lot of I saw a lot of celebration of growth here. And uh, look, once again, I know we've done hope to death over Advent, but I find these tremendously, tremendously hopeful as a collection of readings. Um, uh, hopeful in the sense that um, God is not finished with us. And that and even, even that Jesus himself um, experienced experienced growing in maturity is is mind-blowing just how truly enfleshed this god is yeah um, in this in this account of god's action i i thought that was fantastic i i even found myself you know with this psalm 148 kind of playing with where i might see growth here um I think praising and worshipping God for all that God is over all of creation is a massive invitation for us to grow. Um, but maybe that's, maybe that's a bit of a stretch. I don't know. But I think, I, I think worship is certainly one of the sources of growth. And there is a, um, there is a bigness, even an infiniteness, to creation in this psalm that that reminds me that there are some wonderful theologians out there who deeply strongly believe that heaven won't be a place where we just arrive but the part of part of the essence of being human is that we are constantly discovering and growing mm. And, and that will be part of the essence of eternity as well for us. And if we believe God is infinite, there will always be something for us to learn. And we will always be experiencing the, um, the newness and freshness of discovery for all eternity. Yeah. I don't know if you saw growth in this at all. You might have seen something completely different, Mark. I saw another but G word. I just word. saw it everywhere. I saw it everywhere. Which I yeah, saw another go. G Tell word. Tell me what your G you. word was. You saw growth. This is for all those um, preachers who are using between two Sundays for your <laughs> sermon preparation and you want something that's yeah. alive. So you got growth. And I, the word I came up with was grounding. Um, ah, yeah, there's, there's a grounding for exactly the same reasons. So there's this essence, as you say, you know, Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and with the people. Um, it's an ordinary life. Here you've got this great mm. um, prophet yeah. of God, the, the first real prophet of God in that sense, uh, after the judges. And uh, it's an ordinary life. It's a kid who's learning things from the ground up. 
um, it's a story that's grounded. And the story of Jesus is exactly the same. This manky little kid who, excuse me, poops, wheeze, farts and vomits, gets born in a little, um, you know, where the animals are kept at the bottom of the house and stuck in a food trough because there was nothing else to put him in, wrapped in some shreds of cloth because that's all they had at the time. Um, And when we see this baby after escaping to uh, Egypt and all sorts of other things, um, in the temple, hanging out with some people, uh, some, some other teachers and stuff, and they're listening and they're asking him questions and they're astonished at his answers, yeah, that they think he's a very smart kid. He switched on. They're probably thinking, gee, I'm going to ask this kid if he'll follow me and I'll be his rabbi for a while and because he'll be great in you know, passing on my yoke. And then mum and dad find him and uh, exactly the same thing happens. You've got a kid who's there in the temple, but mum and dad are still saying, wait, where have you been? Mm. Where'd you nick off to? Um, you know, um, and, you know, you could look at that, you know, mm. why were you searching for me to in my father's house? Was that a little bit of smart alecky? I don't know, maybe. Um, one of the great <laughs> joys I had uh, about two years ago um, under the amazing scholar, Wendy Mayer, an Australian theologian, she's absolutely fat, stunning. She was my supervisor. Uh, on this, and I did um, a study of the infancy gospels, uh, infancy, uh, yeah, the infancy uh, story of James, and the infancy, mm-hmm. infancy Thomas. Uh, what was really interesting about those is, and I looked at them, um, uh, the infancy gospel of Thomas. Uh, I put down to the fact that it's, it's pretty way out and it's pretty wacky and, you know, there's some interesting things in there. A lot of go, it's probably not real, probably not. But the story is really trying to push this line of you've got this common everyday kid who really does have the essence of God within them. Um, the flip side of that is the infancy gospel of James is the opposite. You've got this divine kid mm. who is really common. Uh, so common kid who's divine, divine kid who's yeah, common. Yeah. Both of them were making sure that there was balance here. Um, sure, they emphasized one over the other, but um, they were really pushing for the fact that this kid was fully human yet fully divine. Now, I've been doing a lot of research the last couple of weeks into Celtic Christianity, a lot of reading and prayer and study and reflection around that. And something dawned on me the other day, I was doing some reading about John Alexander Scott, uh, who was a, a, a theologian in the mm-hmm. 1800s who was kicked out of the Church of Scotland for some of his opinions about God and what God was like, um, but had an amazing teaching ministry that continued right through. And he was a contemporary with people like um, Darwin and um, some composers. He used to have mm-hmm. these events at his home where these uh, artistic, amazing people would turn up and they'd have conversations about art and theology and philosophy and all sorts of stuff well into the night. And um, uh, there was some point in reading about him where it mentioned that, you know, for, as far as he was concerned, um, Jesus was a very earthy human person. And the word that came up was truly human. And as I'm reading that, I suddenly went, hang on a second. Mm-hmm. Every Sunday when we say the Nicene Creed in the liturgy, we use that term. We say 
for us and for our salvation, Christ came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became truly human. Truly human. I mean, this was not partly human. This was not tolerating humanness. Became truly human, fully grounded in humanity, um, not doing things by halves, by any stroke, but seriously being as fully human as anyone can be, which means having to endure all of the humanness that goes along with that. So, um, you know, you've got this incredible um, sense of connection to, to being grounded, not esoterical, mm. floaty, boaty, whatever. Jesus, Samuel, the story, they're grounded in that. And then when you read the Colossians uh, passage and you read, um, it's a reminder, I think, of, of Paul reminding us who we really are. Um, you know, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bear with one another, forgive one another, clothe yourselves with love, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I mean, this is the essence of who we are. And so the flip side of Jesus being grounded is that we are also grounded, but we're grounded in the image of God that's imprinted in us. And we need to allow that grounding to show forth and not be afraid to grow, as you put it, like anything else. And right in the midst of all these three readings, the Samuel, the Luke's passage, the, the Colossians passage, you have this psalm, which as a Benedictine, this is every morning and evening prayer, Psalm 148, Psalm 409, Psalm 150. Yeah. And this essentially is the earth giving praise to God. I mean, if the, if the Celts yes. were going to write a psalm, this would be it. Um, to write it is. That the, the, the essence of God being in all of creation and creation crying out in praise and showing forth who this God mm. is. I mean, this is what this psalm is saying. And I've put a little note beside it, though. Um, you know, Jesus said in that Luke passage, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I'd be in my father's house? I've written next to the psalm, you know, which, of course, you know, praise him, sun, moon, and praise your shining stars, highest heavens, waters above the heavens. He created, they were made. Uh, the sea monsters in the deep, the stormy winds, the snow, the wind, the fire, the hail, the mountains, the hills, the fruit trees, and cedars, and everything. That is the father's house. That whole description. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you know, one of the cool things I read in this study that I've been doing is when the Roman historians were writing about the Celtic Christians, they said how disgusting they were because they didn't worship God in temples. And, uh, of course, the Celtic Christians would worship outside in the cathedral of, in their words, earth, sea, and earth sky, and sea. Yeah. That was their cathedral. Yeah. And it's interesting that, um, I wonder whether that's why in Western Christianity we're so good at trying to box God up because we come out of that Roman understanding of we worship God in temples because in temples we can keep God contained. The Celts understood yeah. that God was yeah. limitless. You know, the, the yes. spirit's nickname was the wild goose. And, uh, you know, this, <laughs> yes. this, this essence of this beautiful world, that is the Father's house. We are yeah. literally grounded to God, whenever we walk outside, whenever we encounter creation, even inside here, there's a, a palm tree type thing that my wife has in the corner here. And it's, <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, but 
the essence of God is within that. You know, the yeah. creation power of God has worked through that and is giving it life and sustenance. And when I see that, do I encounter God? Because when I'm with that and wherever I am, I'm within the house of the Father. And so the grounding yeah. is kind of a bit different to Jesus. Jesus' grounding was grounding in the humanity, being truly human. My grounding needs to be mm. in, this could scare some people, but my grounding needs to be in being truly divine and realizing that yes. the imprint of the image of God in me is yeah. God's divinity and that both of us at both ends and working towards that spectrum, uh, in that spectrum, mm. um, need to start somewhere. And we start by just allowing the ordinary life to be used by God in extraordinary ways. Oh, love it, Mark. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, so especially your reflection there on the psalm, that is... The implications of that are, are so big. Yeah. That, you know, what if, what if that expectation, and I know not everyone has this and none of us have it all the time, but ideally we go to the temple of God, to, the, to church, to this, these buildings. We go with a sense of we're, we're doing something different. We're doing something special. We come here with, I hope, um, an expectation of encountering God. Your reflection there, um, and I entirely, entirely agree with it, is insisting that we can't go anywhere we're not where we're not in that space. We can't actually be anywhere where we're not in danger, so to speak, of encountering God, or it's it's yeah. not possible for us to encounter God. There's, there's nowhere like that. Um, so this, the, the, you know, that the implications for worship are, are immense. Um, the implications for our sense of expectation of encounter with God uh, are just, that should blow our, you know, our, our small thinking out of the water. Um, mm. And, and I, th I, I think this is, you know, this is a space I find myself growing in, ironically, um, learning to see God everywhere and, and wondering why there are certain spaces that I find that difficult and certain spaces that I find it much easier. Yeah. Um, so certainly on my morning walk, most mornings or my evening walk, um, I, I find it very easy to celebrate God in the, the quiet of the day and, you know, the coolness. Um, the, you know, I, I, as we've said before, I live in a little village, so it's, you know, it's surrounded by nature. It's very easy for me to get out in fields and trees and, um, uh, you know, in, encounter birds everywhere I go. And it's, I find it that space very easy for me to see god mm. um but there are other spaces that that i find it quite difficult to see god um, maybe in certain relationships or in certain tasks or um wh when life is is a bit busier surrounded by people and demands 
that there's no reason for us to think that God is not in that space. Um, yeah. it, it must be it must be a matter of us learning or growing into seeing God there as well. And that is because uh, you know I, I I mean the other space that a lot of us will will say, you know I come expectantly um, into into this space is often our quiet time or our you know, our, our morning prayer or evening prayer or, um, you, you know, I am more and more convinced that the very purpose of these intentional times is so that, is so that we will encounter God in these intentional spaces and therefore be equipped to yes. encounter God in every other space. Yes. So we, we come together and intentionally pray together I believe, because we are training ourselves to pray always. We come together and worship together in an intentional way because I believe we are learning to worship God in every situation. We might even come, you know, we might even come together in a church service intentionally and think about and ponder God and ponder God's scriptures really for the express intention that we would go through all of life pondering God mm. and chewing over God's word. Um, that's what, that's actually, I, I think there's something in the fact that this psalm sits so late in the psalms. I, I wonder if everything has been growing towards this point where yeah. I see God everywhere. Um, and indeed, the Psalms certainly have, uh, you know, these, these Psalms towards the end certainly have a very strong um, element of worship. They, they call us into worshipping God. Um, all this praise him, praise him, praise him stuff, which sits so much in this Psalm. It's really in the last few Psalms, very, very dominant. I wonder if this is where everything is leading. Yeah. What was really cool about what you just said when you talked about, you know, we're training ourselves um, for what mm. comes when we come out of that. <laughs> mm. Just before you said that, I looked down at the, I, I print the readings off uh, yeah. from the, from the lectionary uh, website where we're getting them from. And it says at the top here, the first Sunday after Christmas Day, and I underlined the after mm. because because Christmas Day's happened. Now what? Well, there is something that happens next. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. We see this child taking the next step. What happens next? Well, the child has to grow. The child mm. has to learn. The child by this stage has obviously learned how to speak and walk and talk and eat and put on its own clothes. And some people assume Jesus is about the age of 12 here. Um, and, uh, you know, there it says, you know, when he was 12 years old, they went for the festival. So it was, it's mm. actually in the passage there too. Yeah. Um, so he's probably learned how to wield some of Joseph's carpentry tools at this point. Um. And 
there there is an after. This this all happened after Christmas. So Christmas isn't, hey, God's here. Mm. Well, what's going to happen yeah. now? Well, Jesus has been trained to live in humanity, just like all of us are trained to live within our humanity. Mm. And so likewise, I think you say a very powerful thing there when you suggest that these acts of devotion that we engage in are pretty much training ourselves for what comes after. What comes after yeah. I leave my morning prayer? What comes after I walk mm. out of the worship service? What comes after I've had a spiritual conversation with my friend over Zoom and we've recorded it for all the world to join us if they choose to? What comes after that? Well, what comes after that is what I've trained myself to do in this time, and that is to ponder and contemplate and be aware and mindful and open to where God is um, in all those things. Um, and yeah. this first Sunday after yeah. Christmas, we're reminded that it didn't stop just because, bang, God's here, hello. There was more to come. Yeah. There was growing to do. Yeah. There was training to be had. There was learning to be. Um, you know, there's a reason why the incarnation didn't happen and boom, there was an adult Jesus standing there. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, the writer of Hebrews says that, you know, has endured being a human just like you and I have in every possible yes. way. And we've Faced got every temptation, yeah. every single one. Um, mm. So, you know, there's a powerful thing there in what you're saying. And then yeah. that after, you know, what comes after? And where do we go from mm -hmm. here? Um, mm. Which is, I guess, what our whole podcast is about. It's not just about, Isn't oh, it? we get to Sunday yeah. and the readings are done. It's about what comes after. How yeah. are you going to carry these forward? How are you going to wear them? How are you going to allow them to change and transform you as you move out of Sunday and into the rest of your life? Yes. Uh, there's, there's something that yeah. you said for... You know, and you said it that this this ordinary life story, and yet we see the likes of a Samuel, and we see the likes of a Jesus, and whatever you think of them in terms of deity or even reality, the impact that those stories mm. have had on the world as those characters have done what they do, that's incredibly powerful. Um, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's. There's a lot there, Mark. So you know, there's so something. Uh, there's something I really like about Luke in the fact that he has this 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 claim at the beginning of the gospel that he's gone and done his research as an historian, and and then there are stories like this that are not found elsewhere. Yeah, in any of the other gospels, and. And there's something, I don't know, it, it looks to me like Luke knew Mary. That's what it looks like here. Um, <laughs> the, the, very fact that, the very fact that Luke, the uh, you know, if he's an historian that has any sort of echoes of modern history, then, um, you know, he's careful. Um, he doesn't waste words or say things he doesn't mean. Yet this is... Um, on this occasion, he says um, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. I, I just can't help but think he's got to have either know Mary and have had a conversation around this with Mary 
or he's gone out of his way to go and meet Mary saying, I'm putting together this story or whatever. And uh, I mean, it just reeks of something that only Mary could know. There is a legend that uh, there's an icon called the, the Black Madonna, a lady of Cheshkozawa. Yes. I don't know if I've said that right. Um, mm. Very famous icon of the mother and, and child. And uh, there's a legend actually that it was painted by St. Luke while he was having a conversation right. with Mary about her recollections of Jesus. So it's, it's, I love the way you've suggested that. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's true or real. Uh, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's yeah. a legend. It's, it's um, you know, a suggestion that some have made. Um, I don't know how real it is, particularly if Luke's gospel came a long time later, but uh, the, the very mm. idea that um, we get that inkling from Luke, you can see where a legend like that may have come from. Um, yeah, yeah. Somehow Luke, If Luke's, you know, if Luke's... Uh... If Luke's a preacher, um, and you know, if he's if he's an evangelist, um, before he even writes this, you know, writes the Gospel of Luke and Acts, um, then it could be that he's had interviews well before he writes this down, and True. this is kind of a, a collection of his, you know, something that's that that's been practiced, if you like. In, in all the sermons and his telling of the story of Jesus. So it may not be that he's even intentionally gone out of his way to talk to Mary because he's writing. He, he may, you know, it could have been Casual decades earlier yeah. that he's encountered her and, and he's just shared this story over and over again. And um, I mean, where else is he getting it? Where else is he getting a statement like that other than from, some kind of conversation with Mary. Mary is the only one who can know what's happening in her heart. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, you know, this is not the only, um, the only point in Luke where that kind of statement is made. Um, yeah. if, I, if I remember rightly, it's back with the encounter with the angel, um, Mary, uh, Mary stores these things up in her heart there as well. Um, it's so personal. Uh, it's, it's such an extraordinary claim for Luke to make, I think, and I love it. I just think it's, it's beautiful and, and deeply believable. And again, I, I think it's so cool this year anyway that they all come the day after Christmas. It's almost like, yeah, yeah. Oh, we've we've had this day of Christmas. What now? Well, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're moving forward yeah. from here. So that's right. So that's our readings for this week. And as we go into Sunday, don't forget you can follow all the articles at um, barefootfollower.life. You can follow the daily reflections at Instagram, which is at between two Sundays. That's number two between two Sundays. Uh, and you can um, uh, rewatch this on the vodcast or if you've watched the vodcast you can listen to it again on the podcast and we would love to hear from you too in the comments either on um, instagram or at um, uh, youtube uh, get on there and um, tell us what you've done with the readings tell us where you went hmm. and where are going to go with them um, we really do want to have those conversations with each other and learn from one another 
as we do what Jesus did, grow in stature and favor with God and all the people. Yeah. Um, and do what we'll be doing for all eternity. Yeah. Growing. Having these conversations. That's not going to be too hard. <laughs> not going to yeah, be too hard. It's going to be great. Yeah. It is so great. I know we said this last week, but Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> this Saturday. I'm a little embarrassed we messed that up, but that's okay. Um, that's okay. But but Merry Christmas for Saturday. All the best. Please do rock up to your church and support your churches on Sunday. And we'll see you <laughs> next week for another Between Two Sundays as we see how these first Sunday after Christmas Day readings have been lived out by you as you move forward into your week. Merry Christmas, my Can't friend. Wait. Yeah, and to you. Bless you. So good. Until... <laughs> That's it. Grace, <laughs> peace, and love be with you, my friend, and with all you folks. Uh, we'll talk soon, and we'll see you next week. Bye for now. All right. See ya.